You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And ushers are coming forward with a copy of God's Word. If you do not have a copy of God's Word in your hand, um, please... Uh, Raise your hand. The ushers have one available for you. We would love for you to take God's word and to have it in your hand today. If you have, if you just happen to leave your Bible at home, then um, just even would love for you to see these verses we are going to be looking at today. And by all means, uh, bring your Bible to um, to um, church on Sunday mornings. Encourage you to do that because you not only need to hear it. You need to see it. You need um, just all the senses we can when it comes to God's Word. And, uh, you know, just do you realize the absolute privilege of what I just said a few moments ago? When I said, turn in your Bibles, or do you need a Bible? What a privilege that is. It's only been in the last four to five hundred years, post-Reformation, post-printing press invention that God's Word has been so readily available for His people. And it's readily available for virtually all people. It is the most translated book in human history. What a gift it is that we hold in our hands. What a treasure that we have. And we ought to treat it as that treasure, as that precious gold that God has given to us. Now, let's face it, when it comes to looking at God's Word and, and, and just even a, a brief story out of 1 Samuel chapter seven, 17, no one probably on the face of this earth, no human has ever faced a more formidable foe and a more formidable opponent than David when he went up against Goliath. Goliath, we are told in God's Word, he was over nine feet tall. He probably weighed over 400 pounds. His armor alone then also uh, combined would have weighed about 125 pounds. His spear that he used was 14 feet long. The very tip of it was 15 pounds. I mean, some of you can't even, like, you know, curl 15 pounds, you know, and, and, and I mean, that was on the tip of his spear that he had something like that. Seeing him in full armor would have been an amazing sight. Seeing him in this way and the sound, you just think about it, I kind of chuckled this week when you thought about the sound of him moving with that armor, he would have sounded like a human scrap metal yard as he was uh, out in, 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 in walking and, and running in battle. So how does one face a formidable foe like that? Conventional wisdom says you match up armor for armor, spear for spear, shield for shield. And that's what David did try to do. King Saul tried to put David's armor on him and did. And he's like, this is not working. And so David rejected conventional wisdom and he charged into the battle and was victorious because he was dressed He was clothed with God's armor, with God's power that fitted him perfectly, match for match, against such a great enemy. And he ended up, as you know the story, won the victory. Believer in Christ, here today, watching online, we wrestle against a great, a far greater and a more lethal and deadly enemy than even Goliath of old. We could, if we could just see, if we could again just get a glimpse for just 60 seconds of the spirit world and what goes on in the spiritual realm, we would take this passage that, we're gonna, that we've been reading every Sunday in this series, we're going to read it again, we would take this passage and we would memorize it and then we would desire to live it every second of the day. We would see if we could get that glimpse for just 60 seconds, the battle and the fight that we're in. And yet we would also see and understand and realize the armor and the protection that we have. The fight, the attack, the battle in the spiritual realm is is ultimately, it is, and, and how people and situations are changed doesn't happen in the physical. It happens first. It starts in the spiritual realm. People and situations change 
not in the spiritual, but when we tackle the warfare in the spiritual realm. And to put on the armor of God is to put on Christ. It's how we are protected in any and every situation. And, and it protects us in the spiritual realm that has an effect on the physical realm. To put on the armor of God is to put on Christ, and I trust that we would do that. And so even this morning, once again, I'm going to read, and when we get to verse 14, I'm going to ask you to stand and join me. I'll start reading Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the scheme of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Now, together, join me in standing once again. And repeat together with me as we declare God's word. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Amen. You may be seated. Now listed on the screen, we have the first five pieces of armor that we have been working through. And, 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 and you can just take a look at that. And, and today we're introducing piece number six. And we get to that today, number six being the sword of the Spirit, which arms me for the battle. And I encourage you to, to be able to um, have those at, at bay and to be reminding of our, ourselves what each one of these pieces of armor, what it does and what it accomplishes in the spiritual fight that we're in. Now, verse 17b is our text today, the last part of 17, and it says, and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, right here in the middle of verse 17, right last week we talked about the helmet of salvation, but right here there is a split. There is divide in the armor. There is a shift, if you want to say it, in the series as we go from armor to weaponry. And, and, and we're going to see that there are some items that we have as to be spiritual weapons. The first five pieces, as you look at those first five pieces that you see listed on the screen, that is for our defense. That is for our protection. The last two pieces are for offense. And you say, two pieces? I, I, I just, are you adding a piece of the armor? Well, no, God's word really adds it. And, and, and oftentimes we don't reference it. But there are two pieces that we're going to look at. Today we're looking at the first one that we see, the word of God. Lord willing, next week we'll see this, the second piece of offensive weapon we have been given. And that is prayer. And so look at what it says in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4 where it says, For the weapons, weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. You want to have supernatural power, divine power? We have been given that from God. We have weapons in this warfare to do some damage in the spiritual realm. We are given these weapons to get not to the surface, but to get to the root and the source of the problem, to get to the enemy that is fighting with us and against us or not with us, that is fighting against us. And, 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 and the whole source of the conflict, we can have a remedy for that in the Word of God and in prayer. Now, let's face it, over the last two years, there have been debates and varying views when it comes to various convictions that we hold when it comes to what is deemed as being essential. What is essential these days? Well, we're not going to get into that this morning. Instead, we are going to look at two pieces of armor that are absolutely essential. And the first one that we are told to take up here, we are told to take up this, put it in our hand, is the sword of the Spirit. And, and we're going to look at this and how we are to use it constantly, carefully, consistently, courageously in our lives. 
Now, a Roman soldier would generally have two swords. They would have one that would be very similar to this in size. It would be quite long, and it was used for intimidation and for decoration. And they would have this in hand. And, and let's face it, the Romans knew what they were doing. For a thousand years, they ruled the area of the Roman Empire. Virtually for a time that was unknown up until that time or even since in, in, in that era, in that day. And so their soldiers would carry a sword that would be very heavy. Oftentimes, if it was ever used for anything, it would be a two-hander. You would need two hands in order to do some damage. But they would carry this. But again, intimidation and for decoration because they were proud soldiers and so they had a great big sword like this. But the main sword and the one that we're talking about, what God's word refer refers to is a much shorter sword, 12 to 18 inches long, that would be razor sharp. Now, this one is not razor sharp. I tried to give Fred a shave this morning, and, and it didn't do anything on him. It just, um, you know, and, and it, it's quite dull. I think even one time, um, trying to experiment with this at home, I tried to cut something, and uh, I'm telling you, I, I think our cat's uh, claws would be much sharper. Well, it would be very much so. That one draws blood. I don't think this one would. But anyways, this is just for an example, so don't worry. We're not, you know, these aren't real dangerous weapons that we have up here. Um, and, but the, a, a shorter, a smaller sword like this was used with great precision and accuracy for hand-to-hand -hand combat for the soldier. And so it was very important. It was an essential piece of armor. An empty-handed soldier meant a defeated or even oftentimes a dead soldier. And the sword of the Spirit, what is it? Well, we're told here, it is the Word of God. The Holy Scriptures. And notice in, in the word, in verse 17 there, when it says the sword of the Spirit, that word S is uppercase. It is capital S, meaning the Spirit of God. The sword is what comes from the Spirit of God, from God Himself. This speaks of origin for us. It is the very breath of God. Old Testament New Testament, the very breath, the very words of God. Listen to these verses, write down these references, encourage you to, to, to have these references in hand, put them in your, your scripture toolbox, because these are vital truths to remind us of. 2 Peter 1.21, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Or 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man, the woman, the child, the young person, the senior, whatever age, the man, woman, child, youth, whatever age of God, the person of God would be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God's revelation to us, his word, it is our sword. The Word of God, listen to this, the Word of God does the work of God through the Spirit of God in the people of God. Let me say that again, okay? The Word of God does the work of God through the Spirit of God in the people of God. And that is the work that it does. What we have in our hands when we pick up the Word of God, we have a powerful weapon that is effective and when used rightly can defeat and will defeat any and all enemies and resistance that we have in our lives. What we have is powerful. It is effective. However, to use it dangerously, carelessly, flippantly, or for our own advantage or our own cause can be very, very dangerous. I'm sure all of us can recall times in our lives when we have used a knife or a sword or some sort of sharp tool in the wrong kind of way, resulting in scars that, that, that I trust have healed. Any of you can relate to this? Any of you have, yeah, can, can relate to that? Jason Rofi can. I remember when they first moved here about 10 years ago, I think it was this month even, January, February or so, um, I believe 10 years ago they moved here. He was doing some rental work, and it's a good reason why he should stick to bookkeeping um, uh, and, and not be, do plumbing work, because he, took, he, he had one of those X-Acto kind of knives. He, I think he was doing some plumbing and cutting, slicing the wrong way, and it was extremely sharp. And, and the reason we know about it is we got this frantic 
call to come take care of their kids. And there was uh, somewhere in there involved um, driving their van somewhere in there and the amount of blood and the amount of, uh, of cloths and paper towels and stuff that was all bloody there was just about enough to, oh, I'm just going to keep, keep your eyes on the wheel as we were driving their vehicle. I have pictures of that and every once in a while I find them and I send them to, to him to remind him of, of what he did. And, um, and again, just, you know what, stick to the pencil. You know, that's a, a much better thing than a knife for, uh, for some people like that. And all of us can relate to that. Thankfully, I mean, it's a scar, I, I believe. Um, I think he's already showing it off at the back there. You can take a look. We all have scars in our now, fingers, arms, faces, whatever it might be, somewhere on our body from a sharp knife used wrongly. I remember one time at Christmas, um, my mom went down to the deep freeze and she found uh, next to this uh, beautiful chocolate cake or square that she had, these drops of blood that were in the deep freeze and then went off to the bathroom. Here my brother borrowed a knife from my uncle who was visiting and he kept his knife sharp and he had to go cut off a piece of Christmas square and, and he got caught red-handed, literally. And, you know, so, so I mean, you got to be careful when it comes to using the knife, but even when it comes to using God's word, we have to handle it properly and carefully, not flippantly, because it is sharp, it is effective, but it's also incredibly dangerous to use it and also dangerous to not use it. So we need to learn to use it well. The sword that we hold in our hands, it is sharp, it is powerful, it is useful, it is effective. But sadly, and, and according to certain stats, and, and sadly, I think there's probably some truth to it. You know, they can say it's stats based out of um, United States, and I don't think we would be much different from that. The, and, and this study showed that approximately 80% of people who claim or call themselves Christians don't regularly pick up the Word of God. That means we are so unprotected and unprepared. No wonder we are weak, we are confused, we are tossed by like, like a, a boat without a rudder in, in, in the waves of deception and discouragement. And, and, and no wonder we can be so easily defeated. You see, God's word, as the psalmist wrote in Psalm 119, 105, it says, Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Deuteronomy 32, 47, just discovered this nugget this past week, and I was like, I didn't even know this verse was in the Bible, and now it's one of my new favorite. And it, it, it says this in Deuteronomy 32, 47, for it, referring to God's word, is no empty word from you, Moses is telling them. This is about God's word. There's no empty word for you but your, it is your very life. And by this word, you shall live long in the land. This word, the word of God, they're not empty words. Every word has a reason and a purpose in the word of God. And, and they are our life, we are told. They give us hope. They give us strength. They give us direction. But we must understand that when we take God's word in, in, in spiritual warfare, we have a weapon like no other when it comes to defense, but also when it comes to offensive attacks. We have, in the Word of God, a weapon like no other. And behind every conflict, behind every sin, every addiction, every battle, everything that we face that is not good, there is a spiritual work, a spiritual stronghold and God's word provides direction and power for us to fight well, to fight on to victory. And it's taking all of God's word. There's some, some oh, I was going to say, um, call them a name, but I'm, I'm going to show some self-control because God's word. There are some preachers today that say the Old Testament isn't important. It's not necessary. Let's just stick in the words of Paul. Uh, maybe he didn't know what he was writing, and, and they're not authoritative. And, and you hear some of this crazy kind of stuff. But, but taking the whole word of God, the whole counsel of God's word, taking that in our lives, having that as our sword that we are carrying, the Christian soldier is then equipped for any and all battles and struggles and we can engage in the fight and see, uh, see ourselves go on to victory in the power in the name of Jesus. Amen. And so today, three things. I encourage you to write these down. And there's going to be references to go with all of these. 
encourage you to write down here the three areas where God's Word, the sword of the Spirit, is absolutely essential in our lives. Three areas where it's absolutely essential. The Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, is essential for, first of all, for coming to faith in Jesus Christ. No one can come to saving faith, receive eternal life without understanding and comprehending the truths in God's Word, the very simple truths, because it takes a childlike faith. A child can understand this. And yet, it is absolutely essential that we understand this. God reveals Himself to us through general revelation in nature and in the works of creation. Psalm 19, verse 1, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. And, and, and you just look around and, 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 and see the beauty of God's creation. Wherever you go, in British Columbia, even in Saskatchewan, you can see the beauty of God in a sunset, in a sunrise. I mean, they get the kicker, the best thunderstorms compared to what we get here. They're wusses of thunderstorms that we get here compared to out there. And you see the glory and you see the power and the strength of God in creation. That's general revelation. Romans chapter 1 verse 20 also says, For the God's invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. And so they are without excuse. God is seen. God reveals himself to us in general revelation. But then it comes to special revelation is needed for salvation. So general revelation lets us know that there is a God that is out there. But we need special revelation. And the word, what is special revelation? It is the word of God. It is the Old Testament. It is the New Testament. It is the 66 books. It is the 1,189 chapters in the Word of God. It is the 31,102 verses that we see the plan of salvation. It's in the Word of God, in those 31,000 verses, that we discover the theme of God's creation, of God's purpose, of His love, of His plan for redemption. The Old Testament points us forward to look forward and to look to the one who would come and be Redeemer, Savior, Messiah. The Old Testament promises and points to Jesus, and the New Testament reveals Jesus. And it continues on how we are to live in Christ and in God, in the mystery and of His purposes. He has chosen, God has done this for us, He has chosen to take His plan, His story for redemption and preserve it in a book, in a book like this, in a book, whether it's uh, perhaps as you have it on a tablet or on your phone, and yet I think paper oftentimes is best. And, and, and when it comes to the Word of God, He's taken and He has preserved all of this for us in His book. It is an amazing book. There is a book, it is a book like no other. The God against you and I, the God of whom you and I, every one of us, have offended. We've offended this God. And we have done great things against Him. Yet, His love, we see His love, His power, His strength revealed to us. And God's Word, the sword, is the revelation of His plan to us. His redemptive story. And, and His plan of salvation for any and all people who have turned their backs against Him. But can turn to Him and find a sweet salvation in Him. The Word of God, however, though, is not just reveal the plan, it also cuts and it exposes for who we really are. It cuts, it reveals, it shows our sin, our pride, our fears. It exposes to all of us that we are dreadful sinners, every last one of us. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no cre creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. In other words, God's word, it's telling us here, God's word understands us. God's word knows us. And with two edges, very sharp edges, like a surgeon's scalpel, it cuts through the outer layers to be able to then get into the very heart and to get to the heart of the problem. God's word unravels us and reveals to us. It cuts through all of our defenses 
and excuses. It exposes our thoughts, our attitudes, our intentions. Even our innermost thoughts are known to God and can be revealed to us when we read His Word. I read one man's testimony this past week and he was not yet a believer and yet he stated this, whoever made my heart wrote that book when it comes to the Word of God. Whoever made my heart, he's the one that, that wrote this book. Because this book understands and calls me out like no other. God's word slices and opens and allows us to see what is inside. But it just doesn't leave us exposed, just doesn't leave us open. But it also doesn't leave us hanging, guilty, broken, defeated, defiled. No, it heals. It brings hope. It gives life. It reveals to us not just our need for salvation, but also reveals who the Savior is so that we can be saved. How we can receive by simple faith, simple, sincere faith, the offer of salvation that is made for us. And when we repent and we believe, God comes with His grace and He brings healing. And what has been cut open and laid bare, the sin is dealt with, and then He, 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 he sews it back up beautifully so that the healing can take place. Psalm 1911 says, by God's word are we warned, but we also in it find great reward. God's word warns us, but it rewards us like none other. And so the sword of the spirit is essential for us to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Absolutely essential. But second of all, it is absolutely essential for continuing in the faith. For us to continue, the sword of the Spirit is vital to take up, to hold on to in our hand in order to continue faithful until the very end. It's essential that we continue to pick up the sword, that we pick it up on a regular, on a daily basis, if at all possible. We pick it up, we use it for inspiration, for encouragement, for instruction, for examination of our lives, which then taken into account, takes and it leads us to transformation of our minds, of our thinking of our actions. It is the Word of God taken and, and grabbed hold of that brings change in our lives. Not in our own strength and power, but through, who, who is it by? By the Holy Spirit, the one who authored His Word, gives us also the strength to be able to live it. We see that there is this continuing element to our faith all through the New Testament. In, in what Jesus had to say, we see it in Colossians chapter 1, verse 23, when Paul talks about continuing in the faith. He talks about being established and firm, not moving from the hope of the gospel. You've got to stay in the gospel. You've got to stay in it, this continuation. Matthew 24, verse 13, and, and uh, Jesus said, those that endure, who continue to the end, will be saved. Those are the ones that will be saved. Those who endure to the end. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 to 23, take and read that this week. Find out where do you fit in there. There's a parable of the four seeds or the four soils. And, and, and here we see Jesus gives this parable to remind us and teach us of the absolute necessity of continuing in our faith, in a continuance in our faith. That it's not about making a quick and a super... Or, a quick or a um, superficial emotional response to God. It's not about just praying some prayer and now I'm good and from there I can live loosely to the word of God and the ways of God and live largely to my own plans and purposes and pursuits. No, God's word becomes that guide in our lives for continuing in the faith. God's word is essential to grow us for us to be able to progress, to thrive, and to fight off the attacks that are guaranteed 100% to come our way. But oh, how the enemy loves to lull us into complacency, into lethargy, and so that we become ineffective, useless, and defeated when it comes to the spiritual attacks that come. And it can be time and time again where it just seems we can take attack and hit after hit after hit. Why? Because we aren't standing firm. We're not continuing in the Word of God. We, we started in the Word of God. We started in faith, but we must continue in it. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. Paul is reminding Timothy 
to continue in what he has learned. He talked about his heritage, what you learned from your grandmother and your mother was amazing and it gave you such a firm foundation. But he doesn't say, hey, Timothy, you had a great start. You're good. You're in. Wonderful. You know what? Just, just carry, carry on, chap. He doesn't say that to him. No, he says, continue to be firmly grounded in the word of God. Continue on, Timothy. Because here's the thing. Somewhere... And quite often, we will get tempted to put down the sword or to let it become dull in our thinking, in our decisions. I think of in our own kitchen, we have knives that many of them we received as wedding gifts. That's like 27 years ago now, isn't it, Charlotte? Yeah, 27 years. And, and we went for one stretch in there where, I mean, we just sharpened it with that little quick little, you know, uh, thing that you can hold in or whatever. And it, I mean, we had the dullest knives around, knives around and then took and got them sharpened up. And it was like, whoa, that's amazing what can happen. Well, the same thing, time goes on and our lives spiritually can become very dull. The word of God in our thinking, in our actions, in our reactions becomes dull. We get swept in and swept over by worldly values and teaching, or even just that of our lazy, sinful, and, and self-centered nature. You know, I cannot believe when I think about it, and sadly, social media doesn't help on this at times, how many people who I have served with shoulder to shoulder in the three past churches that have been in ministry in, that we have served in ministry in, and the church that I grew up in as a kid, how many people, how many of those churches and even denominations have been drifting slowly away from God's word, once holding certain values and strong convictions in the word of God, have now become optional suggestions or maybe not that big of a deal or have bought into the lie of, well, did God really say that? I mean, that goes back to the garden. That goes back to the serpent. Did God really say that? Is that really a big deal? And if we are not careful, we can easily not talk about those people. We can be one of those people. In fact, that's why God's word constantly, because we have a propensity to move that direction. And then with the culture and the influences around us, we need God's word in our lives more than ever before. Our commanding officer, he's given us a sword. He's given us his sword. He's given us his word, which is eternal. Psalm 119 verse 89 says that, that, that his word stands firm in the heavens. In James chapter 1 verse 17, it says, God does not change like shifting shadows. And so if God doesn't change, his word does not change, our response and our living out to the word of God are not to change either. First Peter chapter 1, verse 24, it says, The grass, the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. It doesn't change. You know something that's so sweet too about the word of God? Is that this same sword is suitable for children. It's suitable for the youngest of children to understand and to comprehend and to then to learn and to grow up. You remember that old song, the B-I-B-L-E? Some of you remember that? The B-I-B-L-E, oh, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Not only does it teach you spelling, but it teaches you an awesome truth. Hope kids, I think we, hope kids leaders, workers that are here today, maybe we've got to bring that song back. You know, because it's just, it's short, it's sweet, but you teach these kids. And it thrills my heart that right now, out in that building, and down below, in, in that corner room, wherever that is, I think that's over there, our kids are being influenced, and they are being taught to hold on to, to love, to appreciate the beautiful sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. This not only equips them for life here on earth, but for eternity to come. It thrills my heart to hear of a blossoming youth group in this church, to hear of 25, 30 young people gathered together on Wednesday night, having a blast together, but they are bringing it back week after week to the Word of God, equipping our young people in the Word of God. Thrills my heart that, that, that groups at all ages, whether that's children, young people, young adults, young marrieds, 
The Bible is for all groups, for, for old marrieds, uh, for the old and gray, and, and, and also for those of you that can't embrace the gray. And so you shave or you die, whatever you might do. I mean, the Word of God is fit for any and for all of us. There's not a person, there's not an event in our life for which the Word of God is insufficient. We have to understand the answers are there in those 31,000 pieces puzzle of the Word of God. The 31,000 pieces placed together builds a beautiful picture of God's redemptive plan. 2 Peter 1.3, it says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Let me say that again. Listen. His divine power has given you has given me, has given us everything we need for a godly life through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Amen? Amen. Okay. Well, I shared that verse this week on a, uh, with my prayer partners on a chat. And one of them, I think cynically, and yet, I believe, sincerely responded to that to make us think. And he said this, do I, do we really believe that verse? Sure. We sure don't act like it too often. God said it. Or is he just playing games with us? Or is this a surety? Is this something that we truly believe? We just said amen to it, but does that mean we truly believe it? That God's word, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. And he went on though. He says, and how do I get that? Everything needed for a godly life. Where do I get that from? Verse 2, the verse just prior to that. That's why you study God's word in context. How do we get that? By the knowledge of God and of Christ. As we grow in our knowledge of God, as we grow in our relationship with Christ, and he went on to say, he got a little preachy here, not in knowledge or hymns or signs of the times or how not to worry or making money or fighting COVID. No, the knowledge of him. How do we get to know the knowledge of him? Through the word of God, through the sword of the spirit, through the word of truth. It's all here for us. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Do we hold it up in that way in our lives? Is it the sword of truth that we are building our lives on? Sadly, we get tired, we get tempted, we get distracted, and we put down the sword. The sword becomes dull, and we pick up other swords. We're all carrying a sword, but is it the sword of the Spirit? And, and, and with these other swords that we carry, we can wield it, and we can make temporary strikes and blows that seem to be effective in the short term and we think that 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 we can experience victory we think it is the life that 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 we've been given and we can do this but sadly we pick up these swords and they're insufficient there's nothing more sufficient than the word of god here's some swords we might pick up self-sufficiency i've got this i i'm strong i just need to try harder do better I'm strong, I'm tenacious, I'm a fighter, I've, I've got good discipline. Self-sufficiency can be a sword that we carry to try to make it through life. Or another sword is worldly wisdom. Just follow the right methods and the right strategies and it will all work out. Or the sword of materialism. If I just get more stuff, if I can overcome debilitating feelings um, in this by, but by perhaps, you know, that next purchase, that next job, that next relationship, that next gadget, that next reno, that new relation, or, or that new home, whatever it might be. It's always just, just, just that next thing. And that can propel us. That can keep us busy. That can give us some temporary joys. But in the end, we fall back defeated and discouraged. And there are many other swords that we can carry that offer temporary, finite results but the end in emptiness, brokenness, and defeat. But we can pick up the word of God that is eternal. And so the sword of the Spirit, is, it is essential for coming to faith in Christ, for continuing in faith, but also thirdly, for contending for the faith. Turn to Matthew chapter 4 as we just see a beautiful display 
of how we contend for the faith, how we use the Word of God as a powerful, as a sharp weapon that has been given to us. No better example than here in Matthew 4 in how Jesus took the sword of the Spirit as a defensive weapon, but then how we went on the offense. Jesus had been in the wilderness 40 days, 40 nights, fasting, praying. And, and who's there to bother him and to hound him? You, you step out to do anything for God, anything spiritual, anything to get closer to him, oh, the enemy will be there. And, and just like for, for Jesus, the enemy, the devil was there. And, and to think about this, here is Jesus, God in the flesh, who easily could have said, Flame on you, Satan, and turned him into an ash hole someplace over there, you know, and, and just deal with him in that way. He could have done that. That was a bad word that didn't come out quite right. It was supposed to be an ash heap. Um, and so, sorry about that. Could have turned him into that too, though, I guess. So, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, that was not... But Jesus demonstrates to us how he and how we can fight this spiritual battle with the same resources that Jesus used and the same power that he used to send the devil packing. You and I can do the same. You can do it this week. You and I can send them packing this week in that area of fear, in that addiction, in that struggle, in that battle, in that... Whatever it is that we are facing, God's word is sufficient. And Jesus understood, and so must we write this down, specific attacks require specific truths. It's not just enough to just take God's word and hold it up and say, here, this is my defense, just here it is, you know, and, and to use it in this way. You need to open it up. And, and specific attacks require specific truths in the word of God. And we deal with it as such in that way in our lives. Satan first comes after Jesus, and he comes, I encourage you to read this, study it this week, and just see the beauty, the glory, and see what Jesus does in here, but we're just going to do it. When Satan first came after him, he, he, he was tempting Jesus with the lust of the flesh. He was trying to get him to eat some bread. It wasn't wrong for Jesus to eat some bread. He just wasn't going to take the instructions, and it wasn't his time, and he wasn't going to take his instructions from the devil. But he knew that he was hungry. And the devil loves to come after us knowing our passions and our weaknesses and our struggles. And what does he want to come do? He wants to come and just twist it a little bit to try to inflame them in us so that we will fall into his trap and get lured into thinking, oh, it's not a big deal, it's not a big deal. And then once you do it, it's like, oh, you're going to pay for that. You're going to pay for that. I can't believe you just did that. Notice Jesus did not quote some random verses when the devil came with the accusations and temptations. No, he, he quoted specifically. The first, first temptation that came his way, he responded with, it is written, and he quoted from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. And in the same way, we must wield the sword very dry, directly using specific passages of Scripture, just as Jesus did, in dealing with the specific attacks that come our way. This is why a growing and a deepening knowledge of the Word of God is so essential in our lives. Having the toolbox on our phone or in our journal, those toolbox of verses, of promises and truths that are at the ready for us to know and to repeat, to memorize, to be able to declare so we can fight off the enemy just as Jesus did. Second of all, certain attacks contain twisted truths. The second time the devil came to test, test Jesus and to tempt him, tried getting him about power, prominence, about the pride of life. He was coming after him on that one. And, and the devil got very tricky. He, in verse 4, you see, see what he says. It is written. And then the devil takes and he misquotes and twists and takes out of context Psalm 91 to try to tempt Jesus. The devil knows the word of God. The devil knows the word of God better than any of us know the word of God. Every lie contains elements of truth to it. And this is why we have to be so careful. There are so many false teachings and teachers and preachers and professors and theologies that are twisting the truths of God's, of God's word. In little ways, much of what they have to say, it sounds really good. It sounds biblical. But then they just take and they just start turning it and twisting it. And it leads then from one area of deception to another. 
But notice once again, how does Jesus respond to Satan's it is written? When Satan comes with him, with the word of God, he holds up the word again, of word of God again from Deuteronomy 6.16, and he quotes, for it is written. Thirdly, all attacks demand power of truth. All of the attacks demand that we attack them with truth, with the power of truth. The third time that Satan comes to tempt Jesus with the lust of the eyes, and he says, look at all that you can have. Look at all of this. Notice that Jesus now, he sends the devil packing. He's had enough of this. He's had more than enough. And what does he say, verse 10? Be gone. Be gone, Satan. For it is written, you shall not worship the Lord. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Again, from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now notice, notice this. Jesus did not bind Satan. We are never told to bind Satan. That's become a popular thing. And, and, and something, it sounds really good when you pray it because it sounds powerful. We're never told. We're, we're never told to bind Satan. We are told to tell him to be gone, to get lost, to go to hell, whatever it might be. And, and, and we can say it with authority. But we don't say it with our own power, our own authority, our own gusto. And you say it loud enough and you say it sincerely enough that, no. It's not in our power and our strength that we tell him to get lost, to get out, to be gone, to go back to hell. But it's in the name and the power of Jesus wielding the sword of the Spirit, the truths of the Word of God. We can tell the devil to leave. Is he hounding you in your thoughts? Is he hounding you in certain situations? You can say, and it's probably even, be careful where you say it. People might think, cuckoo. Uh, you know, if, if you say it, you know, in public or whatever, you're just walking down the grocery store aisle and you're like, devil, be gone. You know, like, every, okay, they, there may be an ambulance called for you. And, um, but at times, even Jesus, he told the enemy, be gone. And when Satan is coming up against you, be gone, Satan. And use the word of God to fight him off. In the name, in the power of Jesus. What did Jesus do? Three temptations. Three times he said, it is written. James 4, 7 says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. He'll come back. Guaranteed, it's not one and done. He's going to keep coming, even for Jesus. It it, it said that he left and he was going to come and, and, and get him looking for more opportune time. And finally, here's what we all must do as we wrap this up here today. How do we take up the sword of the Spirit? What do we do about these great truths? First, it's simple, and yet it's so hard. First of all, read God's Word. Hide God's Word in our hearts. Nothing better, more powerful, more amazing than God's Word. At times, people will send me text messages, and it's okay to do this, or they'll ask, hey, what are some of your favorite podcasts? You know what? Like, and, and, and I have some, and I'll recommend them at times, but... There's no better replacement, no better truths than the Word of God itself. To devotional books are good. Listening to preaching is good. All of these are used in a great way. All the great resources out there, but there is nothing better, more pure than God's Word with your eyes on the Word of God, your mind engaging with the Word of God. But you might say, you know what, but I don't know God's Word very well. That's why I listen to preaching. That's why I do all these things. And, and maybe you're discouraged because you're like, how can I go up against the enemy because I don't know it very well. I'm new. I'm, I'm, you know, I just haven't made this a strong part of my life. Please don't walk out of here discouraged and say, well, I guess I'm just going to get beat up then. No, please walk out of here today with a high view of Scripture, knowing how powerful and all-sufficient and how amazing God's Word is, but also with a commitment to today start that lifelong reading of God's Word to work through it, to read through it from cover to cover. On our website, you go to hopeclona.ca, top right corner, I can see it right now, it says resources. You click on there and it goes Bible reading plans and there gives Bible reading plans and some other resources to help you. But the top thing up there, Bible reading plans. Get in the word of God, get a plan to be able to, to read the word of God and commit to reading it every day. And believe and wait as you read and trust in humility, not just as a check mark, but believe and wait that God has a word, a promise, that He has truths for you from the Word of God. And when you do this, when you get serious about God, will show up in His Word. 
He will give you some days, it'll be just some gold dust. Other days, it's going to be a nugget of truth. But truths that we can take and put together can apply in a beautiful way to make us stand strong against the attacks of the evil one. Commit today to reading God's word. Second of all, meditate. Meditate on God's word. Take time to linger, not just again, not a check mark, but being able to take and read and rest in the word. At times, writing out the word of God and then reading that out and, and praying the word of God are ways that we meditate on God's word. Think about it throughout the day. Memorizing God's word, commit to memory. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against you, that we would have God's word at the ready. Have that, that toolbox of verses that we're slowly working on and reading, committing to memory the word of God. And then lastly, become mighty in the word of God. Study God's word. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Personal study, studying, learning, and growing with others in the word of God. Folks, we're at war. The battle is real. We must keep our armor on, all of it, and we must take daily the sword of the spirit and use it in our lives daily let's pray together and so god would we see today the battle is real we've been seeing that all throughout the series and 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 the enemy is out to defeat and destroy and divide and yet your word gives us the power the strength the ability to see these spiritual forces disarmed and changed and and, and i wonder what would happen if god's people if Hope Church here in British Columbia got serious and God's people in our nation got serious about your word and about these truths and living by your word and allow it to change and to mold and to shape our lives and to go to wars, we'll hear next week in prayer that we would see strongholds brought down. We would see them disarmed, whether that be in our families, in our own lives, as we see it in our world, in our nation, in our politics, in our economics, in everything that is going on. Oh God, we just know that the gods of this world are blinding the eyes of people, and your truth is what opens the eyes. And so, God, I pray that even we, as your people here, insignificant we may feel, would we be students and come to love your word? Would we just, just linger in your word throughout the day, carve out those times, make it a high priority, a discipline in our lives to see it as our defense and our strength, but then by which we can go into the battlefield and we can stand in victory, not in our name, but in the mighty, power, matchless name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. amen.